0: Hey, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of this podcast. This is another bonus episode. I'm just going to put it out there. I'm going to talk a bit about how I have gotten to know other people and get mentorship as a a dev influencer. So if you're listening to this, I'm just going to put it out there, uh, devinfluencers.com. I'm renaming all the dev hero stuff to dev influencers. So go check it out at devinfluencers.com and uh, that should actually take you to a place where you can apply for the accelerator now beyond that i'm also putting together a dev influencers podcast uh, that'll be up next week as i'm recording this and you can find that at devinfluencers.com podcast when i went freelance i was still only a few years into my development career My first contract I was paid 60 bucks an hour due to feedback from my friends. I raised it to 120 bucks an hour on the next contract and due to the podcasts I was involved in and the screencasts I had made in the past, I started getting calls from people I'd never even heard of who wanted me to do development work for them because I had done that kind of work or talked about or demonstrated that kind of work in the videos and podcasts that I was making. Within a year, I was able to more than double my freelancing rates and I had more work than I could handle. If you're thinking about freelancing or have a profitable but not busy or fulfilling freelance practice, let me show you how to do it in my Dev Heroes Accelerator. Dev Heroes aren't just people who devs admire. They're also people who deliver for clients who know, like, and trust them. Let me help you double your income and fill your slowdowns. You can learn more at devheroesaccelerator.com. And here's the deal okay I'm I'm just gonna dive right in so over the course of my career I've had a, quite a number of mentors and I think I talked a little bit about uh, sort of the ability that I had to level up while I was doing Ruby rogues but it started a whole lot earlier than that and I was actually talking to somebody last week about my journey into code right and so I'm gonna summarize that really quickly because it bears it has a bearing on what we're talking about here so uh, let's just dive in and talk about that for a minute. So, pretty early on, I got into um, some some forms of uh, writing code, right? So, uh, when I was in eighth grade, I had a TI eighty five calculator, and so I'd write little programs that would help me with my homework, right? It would I would program in the formula, and then I all I had to do was plug in the numbers, right, and it would solve it, or it would graph it, or whatever, right? And so. I could either check my answers with it or I could get my answers with it, depending on whether or not the teacher had an issue with that. And so that, that was kind of my earliest programming experience. Now, I also have to say that my my grandfather, who incidentally was a rocket science, a scientist, um, literally, he, he uh, did some work on the solid rocket boosters that they used for the space shuttle. He taught me how to solder, and he got me into electronics, which led... In some ways, to this um, insane software development career that I'm in, right. So, um, I'm, I'm also just going to put that out there, right. So there was so there was some tech influence going in. I was also part of the math club in junior high, and we did a little bit of Pascal programming. Mostly, it was graphing. Again, it was it was math stuff. But I didn't really get into software. Even in high school, I took electronics classes mostly, so I was playing with hardware. And the story there essentially boils down to um, the most programming I, I did was we had an 8085 processor, and we would essentially feed in machine code instructions one at a time. Yeah, that that's pretty tedious, but it was fun, right? And then we would get, like, different LEDs to light up and crap like that, right? Um, everything else we did in hardware, including the robotics. So, you know, I, I graduated... And I went to BYU and I got into their program and uh, I I started out as an electrical engineering major. After a while, I got to the point where I realized it would be less work and more enjoyable for me to be a computer engineering major. And at the same time, I was thinking, okay, well, I'll go work for an Intel or some other company, right, that does the kind of work that I think I want to do. And, you know, build my career around that. And so uh, anyway, I I got through that. I got a job working in IT and I actually interned for six months for a company learning how to write patent applications and figured out pretty fast that not (laughs) that was not the track I wanted to be on. I actually wanted to build stuff right But at the same time, you know, my coding classes, we were mostly building, you know, toy apps. Uh, I think the most interesting one was the AI class where we actually built AI tanks into a simulator that, you know, we would go fight the other tank teams in our group. But it was pretty rudimentary compared to what uh, machine learning and stuff does today. So that gives you a background. Uh, Before I graduated, I got a job at a company called Mosey. And I've talked a little bit about them in my podcast journey, right? And so um, when I got hired on, I was hired on as tech support. Uh, I was proficient enough with Windows and stuff to help people troubleshoot their stuff over the phone, right? And so I could actually do that. I could help people, you know, via email as well. Um, And we got into that. And anyway, I, I got into code because we needed some software that would help us manage our workload, right? Because there were two of us. We were overwhelmed. It was way too much work. And that's when I realized the code was fun and useful, right? So, you know, kind kind of, you know, jump ahead a little bit there. But worked on that system for quite a while. Incidentally, the the code name for I did not name the the system, but the code name for that system was Frat Girl. I didn't name it, but I worked on it. Anyway, true story. So uh, the first uh, code that I wrote that, anybody work that used to get work done was called frat girl. So, <laughs> um, I think there was another system in the company called frat boy and, you know, it was just internal culture and an inside joke. Um, but anyway, you kind of get the point. So, um, I don't, I don't remember if it was Tom or somebody else that named a frat girl anyway. So we, uh, you know, I get working on that, getting into podcasting. And what was really, really interesting was that um, when I got started in podcasting, and you can go listen to how I how Chuck got into podcasting and how you can too, uh, episode which was a couple weeks ago. But um, I my first interview was with Greg Pollock, um, and I've I've talked a bit about that. The thing that was interesting though was that as I started to move into that space, um, I realized after like the third or fourth time doing it, that every time I emailed somebody and said, do you want to be on my podcast? The answer was always, well, yeah. Right. And so, um, you know, my third episode was with James Edward Gray and I'd seen him speak at a conference and, you know, and so I got him on the show and he had built the CSV library in Ruby. And so I just started asking him questions about the CSV library. And I figured out pretty fast that I could interview these folks about what they worked on, but I could also interview them about the things I wanted to learn. And that, that's when things got really, really interesting, right? So I had Rails core team members on the show. Um, I, I think the one that stands out to me the most, and I don't even know where this guy's at now. I don't think he's on the Rails core team anymore. But there was a guy named Pratik um, that was on the Rails core team. And he, he had worked on some part of Rails that I was having trouble understanding. And so I, I remember I emailed him and said, Hey, um, I, and at the time I was trying to get any member of the Rails core team member or Rails core team I could on the show called Rails Coach. You know, so I'd had a few other people from the Rails core team. I think most of them have moved on at this point. But I reached out to him and I was like, hey, do you want to come on the show? And he's like, sure. And he's got this British accent, you know, and he's all the way across the ocean. And so we had to find a time that worked for him that was in the morning for me, that was in the afternoon for him. And I think he was contracting with Basecamp at the time or 37 Signals is what they were called then. And so I get him on the call. And we start chatting. And so we, we kind of build this rapport, right? And so we're chatting about Rails and chatting about what he's working on and chatting about what he's learning and things like that on the, on the show, right? And then I start asking him these questions about the stuff that he built in Rails. And I think it was routes or I can't even remember. I could probably go find it because I think the podcast episode is still up. But yeah, we just chatted, right? And so I started asking him all my questions and I got them all answered. And it was really cool. I'm just sitting there going, I'm getting free coaching, freaking free coaching, right? And the the reason that it worked out was because I was, I mean, I didn't have a huge audience. I had a few hundred people listening to me at the time, but a few hundred people was enough. And to be honest, that was enough influence to get his attention, right? And I had other members of the, the core team, right? And I mean, granted, this was a little bit early, and so usually now you can make the case, depending on how far up the food chain they are, and really what I think makes the difference is how often they get invited to come on something like a podcast or to speak at a conference, right? So if they're in high demand, some people are harder to get than others, right? Other, other folks I know... Um, We'll just say yes. Right. So some of the bigger folks like in the business space, there are a few people that are savvy enough to realize that the more influence or the more exposure they get, the better. Right. It helps them sell their products. It helps them um, sell their books. It helps them reach more people. And so they'll go on anything. Right. And so it's never a bad thing to reach out to a big name influencer that you want to get on the show and ask them. Right. Because if they say no, they're going to say no. And then they're going to forget. Right, and so then what happens is you come back three to six months later. They're not going to remember they told you no, and so you can make a better argument, right? And so that that's one of the tricks is you know you just follow up, but right, so you make the better argument. Hey, you know we've got two thousand people that listen every week, and we had so and so on, and we'd like to put your name next to their name, kind of thing, right? And yeah, you know it it, it makes a difference. It makes it easier to get them on, but. What's interesting is, is that over the years, you know, I've been able to be mentored by a lot of these folks. I mean, lately, it's it's funny because I had this experience and I wasn't really aiming for it, per se. But and it, it kind of came out of an opportunity that came my way. Right. So I should I should tell like the story of how this originated. I think I will. I am going to tell it. It's a little bit of a side tangent. But let me get to the point first and then I'll, I'll turn around and, and tell you a little bit of the story. So. Last week, I had a conversation with Uncle Bob Martin, and for those of you who don't know him, you know I think he's Uncle Bob on Twitter. But he's written a whole bunch of books: Clean Code, Clean Crafts, or no, Clean Craftsmanship is the one that's coming out that I interviewed him about. Um, but Clean Architecture, Clean Agile, right? He's got all these books. Anyway, so I was talking to him. It was two weeks ago because last week we talked about the book list. You know, it's like, these are all the books that nobody reads anymore that everybody should be reading, right? This week or the week before, we were talking about his clean craftsmanship book, right? And he he walked me through like all of the practices that people should go through and then all the the standards that people should adhere to and then the ethics of programming, right? And so that's that's the episode. But what was interesting was that, yeah, I wound up in this position where I was having these opportunities where he was actually teaching me how to write better code right and I've been doing this for seriously like 10 12 years something like that right and he's he's like dropping these knowledge bombs right and left and so I'm getting coached I'm getting coached by one of the premier um, agile and programming coaches in the world right and you know he's he's doing it because he's on the show. And you know the show is the Clean Coders podcast, so it's branded toward the the learning company that that he and a few other folks are involved in. But anyway, it's it was just interesting, right? So with Pratik, I went to him, right? I went and I was like, "Hey, Pratik, you know Rails Core, you're awesome. I read this blog post, got questions. You know, come on the show, right?" And he did. Um, with Bob. I just emailed him and said, Hey, let's do another episode. And that's what we wound up talking about. Right. And it turned out to be something that was very, very relevant to what I've been doing at this full time job that I'm in. And so, you know, I get coached by Uncle Bob Martin and I got coached by him last week too. Right. And I get other people on the shows that it's like, Oh, hey, blah, 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 Webpack. Right. And so I learn stuff about Webpack or Webpacker or, you know, Ruby three was something that we recorded last week. And so you get this, this, the idea, right? You know, I, sometimes I'm getting coached by people who, you know, are at my level or maybe a little below my level, but they've done more research than I have on a topic. And so I get coached by them as they come on the shows. Right. Or, you know, in the case of uncle Bob, I I get the opportunity to talk to him. And what's really fascinating to me with relation to this is, um, Yeah, if you're an influencer, sometimes people think, oh, well, you're, you know, you kind of get to the top of the pyramid and then you get to kind of yell down at everybody. And the reality is, is that if there's something that I want to learn as an influencer, I can go find the person who can teach me that and I can invite them to come and teach it to me. Right. Another example, my friend Manny, right, he has a uh, podcast about. Book summaries, right? So he gets book authors, right? And the last episode that he put out was with a guy who did does real estate stuff, right? Real estate investing, and so and it sounded like he was really interested in it. That Manny was, and that he had actually gone down where this guy lives, and had like gone uh, building shopping with the guy, right? And and gotten real mentorship out of it. And at the end of the day, then he interviewed him about his book, right? And so the two are not mutually exclusive you open up opportunities to learn new things from being a dev influencer. Now, the opportunity with Bob in particular has been really interesting, um, both from the standpoint of the other people that he has actually brought into clean coders, right? To do series for clean coders are also people that I've been given access to, right? I've been introduced to these folks. And, And so I've been mentored or learned new things from them, right? So if I'm interested in, like, IoT, you know, we talked to James Grenning, and that was awesome, right? It was really, really interesting. Or, um, you know, um, self-directed teams, you know, and I talked to Sandro. So that's all been interesting as well. And the way that that came about, incidentally, was it was a little over a year ago, year and a half ago, I think, I was approached. In fact, it it was Joe Eames from JavaScript Jabber. He he was a panelist over there. He runs ng-conf now. But he actually introduced me to the CEO of Clean Coders, right? Because he was talking to them about some other deal, right? And and I don't even remember what he was trying to swing with them. But, you know, he runs thinkster.io. You should go check them out too. But yeah, so he introduced me. So I wind up talking to this guy. His name's Tad. He's He's a great guy. And we start chatting and he mentions that he would like to have a clean coders podcast. And I was like, well, that's cool. Right. And so, um, we have that conversation and then, you know, we, we back and forth a bit as far as like, you know, distribution rights and licensing rights and ownership and, you know, all that stuff. Right. I agreed to do certain things. They agreed to do certain things. And at the end of the day, you know, we worked out this deal to do this podcast hey folks if you love this podcast and would like to support the show or if you wish you could listen without the sponsorship messages then you're in luck we're setting up new premium podcast feeds where you can get all of the episodes released after christmas 2020 without the ads signing up will help us pay for editing and production and you can go sign up at devchat.tv slash premium and what's funny is is this is not something that i pitched to them right it just came out of the, you know, them talking to Joe and Joe introducing them to me. And then, you know, we had a conversation and that's what came from it. And, you know, it's it's amazing how often that works out that, you know, you find these mentors, these people out there who are doing these interesting things and you, you know, you turn it around and you get these other opportunities to learn more things, Right. And then I take that opportunity and, you know, get introduced to people from by Bob or by Tad, Right. And I learn more stuff from them. Right. And, you know, I can go back to them and I can say, hey, it looks like you have a course on such and such a thing. Do you want to dive into that? Right. And can I get in touch with so-and-so? And sure enough, you know, works out great. So I, I guess my point is, is that a lot of people kind of have this idea of, Dev influencers being these people that go out and just kind of, you know, bullhorn to people and, you know, it's all about their message going out. But you really do reap some serious benefits and learning opportunities by getting in and getting to know other experts and then having the opportunity to work with them. Right. Another example of this that I see fairly often is John Papa. So John runs the, it used to be um, JavaScript, uh, what is it? Anyway, it's the WebRush podcast now. And, you know, they would get people on and they would talk them through how they had built something or done something, right? And, you know, John is a developer evangelist at Microsoft, or at least he was last time I talked to him. Um, It's been a few months. So, you know, it's an opportunity for him to get the word out about Microsoft stuff, but it's also an opportunity for him to pick up new things that he can go out and learn and then teach on his blog. Right. And so as he does that, then he expands his influence, but he also is learning these new technologies that he can apply to whatever it is that he's working on, you know, be it a course for Plural site or something else. Right. And so you get the idea, right. That, that having influence or being an influencer isn't just about the amount of content that you generate or the number of people that you impact. But a lot of times it's an opportunity for you to open some doors and keep learning, right? It's an opportunity for you to shortcut some of the process, right? Where I can go directly to the person who wrote the library or wrote the part of the library in the case of pratique. right? And I can get specific direct help understanding it whereas somebody else had to go do the work of actually you know going through the code and synthesizing the code and experimenting with the code and maybe they missed something in the code and so you know i get secondhand or indirect knowledge and so anyway i'm i'm telling this mostly because it's, it's been interesting over the years to have the opportunities to get mentorship. And yeah, some of the mentorship was longer term, right? So usually those are the co-hosts that I have on the shows, right? Um, you know, another example was when I was freelance, right? Uh, initially, uh, it was Evan, and it's been so long, Eric, Evan, and uh, Jeff, were you know, we started the freelancer show and they they were my co-hosts on that show, right? And I was new to freelancing. I had been freelance for a grand total of like a year when we started that show. And they had helped me out beforehand, right? But they mentored me through a whole bunch of stuff. And then as as time went on, you know, we had Reuven join us and, you know, I got to benefit from his experience. And then, you know, we had other people join in and it changed my perspective on freelancing, right? And so I started doing some things differently and started building... Uh, per week, like Curtis McHale, or um, doing um, uh, project-based bids, you know, a la Jonathan Stark. And, you know, I got more focused on my customer and things like that. And so all of these things kind of played together, again, to get me the kind of mentorship I needed to be able to succeed in business, right? And it goes on and on and on and on. So... If you are looking for opportunities to continue to learn as a developer and continue to move up in not just influence, but in, in your career, then, you know, being an influencer makes a big difference. Now, how do you do that? Right. I mean, that that's the rest of the, the conversation is, OK, how do you do that? Like, what are the steps? What are the things that you need to do? And I have a, a dev influencer outline that i use in the accelerator and i basically walk you through the process of identifying the people that you want to build influence with right so sometimes it's a development community or people that use a particular technology other times it's people who would be good customers for whatever it is you're going to put out you know be it a SaaS or um courses or things like that um Right. And so you identify them and then you get their attention by understanding what they want and then providing them with a podcast. And the reason that I've chosen podcasting, I have people ask, you know, well, what about YouTube? And what about blogging? So here, here are the trade-offs, right? So blogs, the problem is, is that the way you get uh, traction on a blog is you either get somebody with influence to share it on a regular basis, right? So people keep coming back, um, I just don't see people subscribing to blogs via RSS anymore, right? So the only way that you, people keep coming back is if, you know, they're deliberate about somehow bookmarking your content and then going back to it over and over and over again, right? Um, whereas a podcast, when you subscribe, it shows up every week, right? You Ready or not, here it is, right? And so it shows up in your feed like this did, right? Um, the other way that I see people building influence is through through YouTube, right? And the problem with YouTube is that you, it's kind of like the problem with the blogs, you know, where you have to have people sharing it because SEO is is essentially what you wind up doing for both blogs and for YouTube, right? So you, you play the algorithm game, you get noticed, right? Uh, hopefully you get people to link. You can get people to subscribe to you on YouTube, but they have to keep going back to YouTube to get your content, right? And so that's the rub there is that they may subscribe, And then if they don't get back on YouTube, then you've lost them, okay? With podcasts, it's a little bit different. Podcasts operate, so blogs and and YouTube, the other thing that I'm talking about here is when you're doing SEO, you're doing SEO, yes, for your entire channel or website, but mostly for your individual videos or blog posts, okay? And so you're trying to drive people back to those over and over and over again. And that's not to say that it won't work, and you're probably going to have a couple of uh, videos or a couple of uh, blog posts that continue to get you traffic, right? And the same is kind of true for podcasts, but podcasts kind of get promoted as a package deal, right? And so people don't get on Apple Podcasts or get on their podcast app and just go check out one episode of Ruby Rogues or one episode of JavaScript Jabber. The way that that works is they actually subscribe to the podcast and then they may go pick and choose the episodes that they want to pick up on their way through, right? but while they're subscribed then they get a new one every week, right? Or however often you release. And so what winds up happening is is that it's an automatic bring people back and they hear your voice over and over again. So that's and that's a major major thing, right, as compared to blogs or YouTube. The other thing that you get from the podcast though is that the podcast searches are not as sophisticated as the YouTube search or the search engine that you're using to look for blog posts, right? Instead, especially Apple, Apple's the one that gets the most traffic and is the one that people tend to, you know, to search from, right? And so that's the one, I mean, seriously, it's like 60 or 70% of the market, right? And then the rest of it's Spotify, right? But again, Spotify is mostly music, and I do not think they search the lyrics. They might. But for the most part, especially with the spoken word, all they have is the text that you put in to go on, okay? And by far, the most important thing is the title, right? So you have the title of the podcast and you have the title of the episodes. And I mean, that's pretty much it. They really don't look at the description. They don't look at much else other than the category that you put your episode or your podcast in. And then only the first category you put the, the podcast in, right? The rest of the information is basically informational when people actually click on your show. Right, and so um, and you get ranked and rated based on people's ratings and you know how many people click through and subscribe. But at the end of the day, that that's pretty much the long and the short of getting found as a podcast. Uh, the rest of it's word of mouth, right? Just like the rest of it. Hey, folks! I don't know if you've noticed, but I've been working a lot on figuring out how to help people become the most valuable developers on their teams or becoming the top five percent of developers in the field. If you're looking to level up figure out how to contribute more, get the career you want, get the career that you want that will support the lifestyle you want, then you should check out the Most Valuable Dev Summit. I've invited some of my friends across the community, people that you've heard of, people that have worked on systems that you use on a daily basis, people who have invented new ways of doing things over the years in programming, and I've asked them one question, and that question is, how do you become a top 5% developer? How do you become one in 20 of the best developers out there. And so we're going to go ahead and have that conversation with them in interviews on the Most Valuable Dev Summit. And you can find that at summit.mostvaluable.dev. Anyway, so that's why podcasts work is because you get the repeated exposure and because getting found, you just have to make sure that, you know, your core audience can find you by searching for what they're searching for in a podcast app. And that's it, right? That That's as sophisticated as it gets. And, you know, that may change as we get better at indexing audio. But for right now, there really isn't a great way to do it. You know, automated transcripts just aren't good enough. Honestly, they're just not yet. And so, you know, they kind of go off of what they can. But mostly, that's just the text you submit. Also, the the keyword field, if you submit to iTunes, it's misleading because they don't actually search by keywords either so at the end of the day what winds up happening is is you name your show i'm for ruby developers right ruby rose i'm for javascript developers javascript jabber and you know you you give it a little bit of a a tagline and you know that that's how you get found and so at the end of the day at what, with what you're looking for, essentially, that's the way that that works out. And so you're much easier to find. And like I said, people automatically get pushed to come back to you over and over and over again. And so because of those two things, uh, podcasts are the way to build influence. And then, you know, the the framework kind of walks you from building your podcast to building your podcast audience. So we show you how to reach out to other people. And, you know, you know essentially, Uh, Connect with them to build your audience. We show you how to show up in various places online. Um, We give you the strategies to promote your shows on social media and stuff, um, which, to be honest, isn't a great source, but it does make it more shareable. And for the people who show up on your show, uh, the people who care about where those people show up, that's that's where you start to garner some of those listeners, right? Because it's oh, I love everything that so and so does. And now they're on this other show, so I'm gonna go check it out. You know, we'll teach you how to build your email list, we'll teach you how to get people in there. And then usually people have some kind of outcome. And so we'll also teach you how to essentially sell the outcome that you're looking for, right? So be it courses or be it freelancing, or, you know, maybe you just want to build influence, you know, and, and be a speaker, right? So we'll talk about that and how to how to work with the conferences so that they're going to want to have you speak. Um, and and that's, that's the, the framework that we're going to be working with there. Right. And, again, you can use your podcast as an opportunity to find mentors to help you do all this stuff. You can also use our proven method to do it. But that that's what the the Dev Influencers stuff is all about, right? That's what the Accelerator does. And so if you're interested in the Accelerator, you can go check it out. Uh, It's at devinfluencers.com. And if you want to join, it's devinfluencers.com slash apply. And yeah, I'm really looking forward to helping more people uh, level up their level of influence so that they can reach the people that they feel like they can help. And at the same time, build sort of that next level of career after senior and continue their learning journey and not get stuck or stagnated because you're not doing interesting stuff at work or things like that. So, like I said before, devinfluencers.com is the place you can go check that out. And, you know, podcast episodes should start dropping next week and so you can go find those at devinfluencers.com podcast. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with CashFly. Visit cachefl to learn more.